Welcome to the Calvary Community Church Podcast. For more content and information about Calvary, please visit our website at calvaryhouston.com. Amen. Thank you, Margaret. Good morning, Calvary. I'm Joshua Rushing, one of the pastors here uh, at Calvary, and I'm going to be uh, sharing a few things with you this morning. In fact, I'm going to be uh, kind of picking up part two where we left off last week talking about unity. So if you have your Bibles with you, turn to John chapter 17. John chapter 17, and you guys who've been around for a little bit while know me well enough to know that I'm going to review. Review is one of my favorite things to do. The teacher in me comes out, and I always have to kind of roll the ball back up to where we are. So if you missed last week, or if you were unable to catch it online, I'm going to try to catch you up to speed in about five minutes, which in preacher speak means about 15 minutes. But last week, we talked about unity, unity, and we talked about how the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit have forever enjoyed perfect unity. And just think about that for a second. Trillions and trillions of years ago, and then trillions of years before that, and then trillions of years before that, the Trinity, the Father, Son, and the Spirit had perfect love, perfect, unbroken communion together. And this is just even hard for us to even fathom that kind of thing. In fact, Paul, in Ephesians, Paul talks about a love that surpasses knowledge. He goes, you can, it just, your brain will just explode if you try to, to discover the fullness and the depths of God's eternal love. But in John chapter 17, Jesus kind of blows everything out of the water when he says, Father, you know the love that we have had, that perfect, unbroken unity and communion together forever? He said, Lord, I'm praying for the future believers. I'm praying for believers throughout history. I want them to be one just as we are one. Jesus prayed for you. And when he prayed for you, he prayed that you and I and us, that the church would become one just as he has become, just, just as he and the Father and the Spirit are one. Not only did he pray that we would be united with each other, then he does the unthinkable in his prayer in John 17. He actually prays that we would be caught up into their perfect love. He said, Lord, I want my people to be in unity in me. Think about that for a second. Perfect love in the Trinity, and Jesus invites us into that. He goes, I want them to experience this perfect, beautiful unity and love and honor. So let's just read that prayer again as, as we're reviewing John 17. We're going to read verses 20 and 21. Again, Jesus is praying here to his Father, and he says, I do not pray for these alone. Now, when he says these alone, if you just go back and read the rest of John 17, he's praying at that point, he's praying for his disciples, the people that are in his presence at that moment. He says, but now, Lord, Father, I'm not just praying for them. He says, but also for those who will believe. Okay, so you get what he's doing there? He's not just praying for his disciples and followers. Now he's praying for those who will believe in the future. That's me. That's you. So, so the second person of the Trinity, the eternal Son, is praying for you. But also for those who will believe in me through their word, verse 21, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that you sent me. So Jesus, in essence, is praying, Father, you know how we are perfectly one? You know the beautiful love and perfect unity that we experience? Well, I want my people to be one with each other in that same way. Then he says, and Father, I also want to invite them into our divine love exchange as well, that they may be one in us. But today, if you look around the church, we're not quite there yet. 
We're not quite there yet. We talked about last week how the church is actually one of the most fractured groups in all of the world. There are over 45,000 denominations in the Christian faith worldwide. 45,000. Now, I'm not saying denominations are bad, but each one of those denominations were started when someone said, you believe this, I believe this, we can't reconcile this and stay connected and stay in, in love and unity, so we're going to start our own thing. And there was a, there was a breaking up. 45,000 denominations. Not only that, when you, if you just open up social media for more than two and a half minutes, you see believers, those who claim to be Christ-like, those who claim to walk in Christ, those who claim to have the indwelling spirit inside of them are cutting each other down left and right. When we do those kind of things, we're literally acting in the opposite spirit of the prayer of Jesus. Jesus said, Father, I desire that my people would be one. And then we walk around and just cut each other out, cut each other out off at the knees with our words, with our actions, with our attitudes. You don't believe like me. We give them the stiff arm. You didn't vote like me. We give them the stiff arm. You don't think and act and behave like I do. Beloved, that's not the desire of Jesus. And so in this hour, I believe one of the things, not the only thing, but one of the key things that the Holy Spirit is doing in the church in this day is stirring up a desire for us to be one. We must be unified in love We're divided on so many different, in so many different areas along racial lines or along gender, theolo- theological issues, political issues, doctrines, even cultural issues. They're all dividing the church. But I'm here to tell you Jesus prayed. And when Jesus prays something, how many of you know you can take it to the bank, right? Jesus prayed that my people will be one. But today... In our culture, we have, uh, there's a phrase that you've probably heard quite a few times. It's called cancel culture. Anybody heard of that phrase, cancel culture? Well, Jesus' prayer in John 17, the fact that he prayed for unity to me infers that when he looked through the corridors of time, he saw a church that was not unified. And so he prays for unity, but yet now, in today's culture, if somebody doesn't think and feel and believe like we do, we cancel them. We cancel them. And before you just sit there and think, yeah, those people over there do that. You know, we don't have a really good track record. The church doesn't have a really good track record specifically as it relates to cancel culture. So before we start pointing a finger at those people who do that kind of thing, let's, let's just take today, let's just take this time during the sermon and reflect on our own lives. If you hear this message about unity and you're thinking, yeah, those people need to get unified. If, you're first, if that first thing in you that jumps out is, yes, them, then, then I think we're missing out on some stuff. I'm hoping you leave today not thinking, boy, that was a great sermon. I hope you leave today with a groan in your spirit going, oh, Lord, is there something in me? Am I perpetuating this brokenness and this fracture? Am I, am I participating in, in the canceling of people who don't think and feel and believe the way I do? Am I, is there something in me I can address? That's what I want you to get out of today. But this cancel culture thing, guys, let me, I'll just come right out and say it. The cancel culture is literally the antithesis of the kingdom culture. It is the exact opposite of the kingdom culture. But we want to be a people who embrace the cross of Christ instead of the cancel culture. Cancel culture says this. This is what, in case you're unclear of what, that, what, I, what I'm talking about. Cancel culture says if you have any weaknesses or imperfections and you sin against me indirectly or directly, then you deserve to be cut off, you deserve to be silenced, and you deserve to be made to suffer for what you did to me. 
That's what cancel culture is. Cancel culture says, if you have any weaknesses or flaws and you sin against me, you deserve to be cut off and you deserve to be punished for what you did. And you deserve to be silenced so that you can't do that to me again. But the cross of Christ is the opposite of that. The cross of Christ says it's precisely because you're weak and imperfect And while you were sinning against me, this is what Jesus would say, because you're imperfect and while you were sinning against me, I actually gave my life for you so that we could be reconciled together. It's literally the opposite of cancel culture. So when we participate in that cancel culture attitude, we're, we're operating in the opposite spirit of the cross. Jesus says, the Bible says, while we were yet still sinners, Christ did what for us? He died for us. Not only that, do you remember on the cross as Jesus hangs there, bleeding, bruised, and broken with the crown of thorns on his head, and there were people mocking him and ridiculing him and spitting on him, and he says, Father, forgive them. What does that mean to forgive? He's literally saying, Father, as far as the east is from the west, remove this transgression from them as if it never happened. Wipe their slate clean. Oh, the mercy. Oh, the love of Jesus. The only guiltless man in history. The perfect one on the cross praying that the Father would not even hold their sin against them. But we get offended by a tweet or we get offended by somebody saying something that they probably could have thought more about how to word that, and we cut them off so quickly. I know I do. I don't want to, and I want to grow. I want to get better. But let me just tell you, it's good news for all of us that I'm not Jesus because I would have hung on that cross, and my words probably would have been quite a bit different. I don't know that would be Father, forgive them. It would be Father, smite them. <laughs> Ground their teeth like gravel. I mean, it, it would have been a totally, totally different ballgame. But the mercy of Jesus on the cross. And then here's the clincher. He goes, oh, by the way, people, I want you to take up your cross daily and follow my lead. How did I do it? How did I do it when people ridiculed me? The people he came for, the people he loves, take up your cross every day and follow me. So cancel cancel culture seeks retribution while the kingdom culture seeks restoration. Cancel culture promotes aggression while kingdom culture pursues acceptance. Cancel culture is about separation, while the kingdom culture is about adoption. Cancel culture involves fear, while kingdom culture offers forgiveness. So what's going on in our culture is is quite the opposite of what's going on in kingdom culture. And we want to be a kingdom people, amen? We want to be in this world, but not of this world. But like I said earlier, before we start pointing a finger in accusation, we can consider bowing a knee in prayer. Because if we're really honest about ourselves and about the church, we don't have a good track record of this. And it breaks my heart, and I've spent time... Uh, over the last week or two as I've been preparing these messages just in repentance for me, for my own life, but also just in repentance standing for the church, asking the Lord to forgive us. To be honest, I'm, I'm tired over these last few years of just seeing all the boycotts and all of the, well, we don't like what you did, or we don't, you gave money to this campaign, or you gave money to that campaign, so we're going to boycott you. We're going we're gonna to cut you off. And guys, this isn't the world I'm talking about. This is the church. The church has done this stuff. And it's not Christ-like, and I believe it grieves the heart of the Lord. 
But let me assure you of this, it's nearly impossible, impossible to harbor hate and, and, and that cancel culture in your spirit towards your brother when you're on your knees beside that brother weeping, when you're on your knees praying with them, when you're on your knees praying for them, when you're seeking their best, when you're asking the Lord to move in power in their lives. Beloved, it's almost impossible to hate them. It's easy to hate them across from a computer keyboard and a computer screen. But when we just die to ourselves, when we die to our flesh, when we die to our own pride and link arms with those with whom we disagree and pray for them and love them. Beloved, here's a principle I want to tell you. When you begin to pray for someone consistently and faithfully, what you pray for or who you pray for, you will fall in love with. Who you pray, what you pray for, you will fall in love with. So if, if, if I'm teaching this message today and you're thinking, oh, yeah, there's this person. Ooh, they get me. Every time they open that mouth, just a bunch of, ooh, I just don't like them. Beloved, pray for them. Pray for them. And I'm not talking about those imprecatory prayers like, Lord, get them. You heard that mouth, get them, God. No, I'm talking about, oh, Father, have mercy upon them. Bless them. Look upon them with favor, Lord. Lord, would you tenderize my spirit for this person? When we enter into that kind of thing, it is nearly impossible to maintain hate and cancel in your heart towards them. But yet we would rather send out a tweet than to get on our knees. Let's be a people of the kingdom. Look at 1 John 4, 10 through 11. We have the verses up here. 1 John 4, 10 and 11. It says, In this is love. Not that we loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. First John 2, 9 and 10 says, He who says he is in the light and hates his brother is in darkness until now. He who loves his brother abides in the light, and there is no cause for stumbling in him. Beloved, that first verse kind of strikes the fear of the Lord in my heart. He who says he is in the light yet hates his brother is not in the light. He's in darkness. Oh, my goodness. Now, we get caught up on that word hate. Well, I don't hate anybody. Yeah, but how do you act towards them? Are, are, are your actions toward them hate? We won't use that word. I don't hate anybody. I, I don't hate anybody. But yeah, but your actions towards some people say, say something different. And it makes me tremble in my spirit when I read the words of John. He goes, if you hate your brother, you're not in the light. Now, I'm not sure what all that means theologically, but it, 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 it makes my spirit tremble. I don't want to be in the darkness. I want, to, I want to live in the light. I want to be in the light of Christ. I think it's good for us to wrestle with passages like that. And ask the Lord, Lord, just like we talked about last week, Psalm 139, Lord, search me. See if there be any wicked way in me. And if you remember from last week, that word wicked way in Psalm 139, when he says, search me, O Lord, and see if there be any wicked way in me, that word literally means way of pain. Is there a way of pain? Is there something, is, is there something in me that's causing pain to others? See if there be any of that stuff, and then lead me out of that. Lead me into the way of everlasting. Lead me into the light, O oh Lord. We must remember when we're dealing with one another relationally that we are literally brothers and sisters. We're not enemies. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. And to quote the great theologian, Sister Sledge, we are family. And I think we need to sing that song when we start 
Come on. There's that person that irks me. Oh, when they start talking about that subject, I just want to punch them in the throat. I need to say, we are family. Mm, come on, church. Yeah. See, all of a sudden, it, it's, it becomes a reminder to us. I'm not dealing with my enemy here. This is my brother. This is my sister. Look at 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2. 1 Timothy 5, 1 and 2. It says, do not rebuke an older man, but exhort him as a father, younger men as a brother, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, with all purity. Even in rebuking, he said, when you rebuke, he goes, really, I don't, I'm not asking you just to go, he goes, don't, don't do that. What you need to do is exhort them, but remember as you're exhorting them, they're part of your family. Now, see, I've got, I'm, I'm the youngest of three kids, and I'm the only boy. Uh, my older sisters always claim, since I'm the youngest and the only boy, that I'm the spoiled one. That is not true. But, of course, we all know that my middle sister is definitely the favorite. So if you're watching, we know that you're the favorite, so let's just get that out of the way. But both of my older sisters are, are very just high character. They love the Lord. Both of my sisters have gotten in physical altercations taking up for their little brother. I mean, sorry if I'm outing, outing you guys, if you guys are watching this. But my oldest sister punched a dude. Fist. Bam. Just because the guy was saying something about me, making fun of me. Punched him. Now, she's not a fighter. She's not like one of these just, but you mess with her brother. My, my middle sister, she's just a tiny little, little thing. And, and, and I remember one time in high school, some guys were kind of gathering around, and, and it was kind of more of a, a, a hazing kind of thing. It wasn't like they were actually trying to beat me up, but it was kind of their day to dogpile Joshua, you know, and they are going to dogpile me and elbow me a few times, give me a few bruises, just kind of, you know, kind of a hazing thing. Well, my sister got wind of it, and at the time she probably weighed all of 80 pounds soaking wet, little gymnastics kind of. She comes over there and stands in front of about eight or nine guys and said, if you want to touch my brother, you got to come through me. Well, of course, they just proceeded to literally pick her up and put her into a big metal trash can and, and tackle me anyway, but that's not the point. The point is, she goes, that's my family. Now, was I a perfect little brother? You were awfully quick to answer that one, Jeff. I hadn't even got the sentence out of my mouth. No, no. I could irritate my sisters more, and I still could probably irritate my sisters more than quicker than anybody on this planet. We, I bruised my oldest sister's tailbone one time because it was my turn to sit in the front seat, and she took my turn in the front seat. I bruised her tailbone. I mean, I, we did not have. I mean, we have a good good relationship, but I could irk them. But when it came to messing with the brother, they said, yeah, you can get on my nerves, but you're my brother, doggone it. Do we have that same kind of spirit in us? Oh, man, you can irk me more than anybody I know, but you're my brother. You're my sister. And I'm not going to let anybody mess with you. I've got your back. I think that's kind of the spirit the Lord's looking for. Now I'm lost. I don't even know where I'm at now. There's good stories, though. Oh, First Timothy. Yeah, so, so treating people with, uh, as if they're your brother, your sister, your father, your mother. That word exhort there in that First Timothy. Let's put, yeah, we still got the First Timothy passage up there. It says, exhort him as a father or a brother or a mother or a sister. That word exhort literally means to admonish, to encourage, to comfort, or to call on from up close. So there's this comforting factor. So even when you're addressing somebody, even when you're having to have those tough conversations, do it with encouragement and comfort. And then that word purity, I love that last phrase. He says, treat them as, as family with all purity. 
That word purity literally means free from defilement, holy or sacred. Beloved, this is a sacred family that we're in. You are part of my sacred family. You may look differently than me. Thank God for that. Amen? (laughs) You may act differently than me. Hallelujah. You know, we talked about last week, if your idea of unity is just trying to convert people to think and feel and look like you, that's not unity you're after. Turn to Joel. Turn to the book of Joel. Joel chapter 2. Joel chapter 2. So that was kind of the introduction. That was my review. Sorry, that's pretty much the whole sermon, but we're going to jump around a little bit. What I want us to get in this next little section is how urgent the call is to unity. This isn't just a, a side thing. This isn't just a peripheral issue. The call for unity, Jesus' prayer for unity, I believe right now is one of the key things that the Holy Spirit's doing in the earth. And we need to have a sense of urgency in our spirits to pursue unity. Scripture points to a great end-time revival that's going to sweep the earth in the season just before the Lord returns. Joel chapter 2, verses 28 through 32, I'm just going to read those. It says, And it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also on my men servants and on my maid servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. And I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth, blood and fire and pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness and the moon into blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Beloved, there is a great harvest, a great revival beyond anything we've ever experienced on the earth coming in the generation the Lord returns. Matthew 24, 14 says this. It says, And the gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all of the world as a witness to all the nations, and then the end will come. You see that? There will be a great revival before the Lord returns. And I'm going, I'm going somewhere with this. Hang on. You're like, you had unity, and now you're talking about revival. Kind of a little switcheroo there. I'm going to connect these in just a second. Revelation 14.6 says, Then I saw another angel flying in the midst of heaven, having the everlasting gospel to preach to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. Beloved, there is a great harvest of souls coming. Luke chapter 10, verse 2, it says, And Jesus said to them, The harvest is truly great, but the laborers are few. So the issue is not whether or not the harvest is ready. The issue is whether or not the laborers are ready. And one of the things that makes us ready for the harvest is unity. Jesus said, no, the harvest is ready. The issue is my laborers are not ready. Well, Lord, how do we get ready? Well, here's one of the ways that you get ready is unity. Jesus prays that we would be one, going back to John 17, Jesus prays that we would be one so that the world may know. Connect those things. Father, I want my people to be one in unity so that the world may know that you sent me. What do we call it when the world knows and receives and embraces that the Father has sent the Son? We call that salvation. We call that revival. We call that the harvest. And he said, I want my people to be unified so that the world may know. This issue of unity is connected to the great harvest. Jesus prays that we would be one so that the world would know that the Father had sent him and that the Father loves them. That's John 17. In other words, the world will experience the Father's love 
and embrace his only begotten son when the church walks in unity. I'm going to read that again. We've got it up there on the screen. This is an important point. I want, I want this to, to seep down into our spirits. The world, according to John 17, the world will experience the Father's love and embrace his only begotten son as a result of the church walking in unity. Now that kind of reminds us of a, of a famous verse. It's probably the first verse that most of us memorized in, in vacation Bible school. It's John 3.16, right? For God so what? Come on, let's say it. For God so loved the world that he did what? So that whosoever believes in him would have what? They shouldn't perish but have everlasting life. So this prayer of Jesus in John 17 should infuse a sense of urgency into our mission in this hour. His words should motivate us to radically pursue true unity for the sake of the harvest, for the sake of a dark world who is in desperate need of light. You see, that John 3.16 seed has been sown into nearly every fabric of our culture. John 3.16, it's the most famous verse in the Bible. Even unbelievers know John 3.16. Right? You see it tattooed on people's arms. You see the signs at the football games, John 3.16, at the wrestling matches, WWF, John 3.16. I mean, you see John 3.16 in nearly every fabric of our culture. Those seeds of God's, the Father's love, and He sent the Messiah, those seeds have been sown all into our culture. The message of the Father's love and the Son's blood has been installed all throughout our world. And now it's up to the church to do her part. You see, we can't do God's part, but He won't do ours. The Holy Spirit has planted the seed of John 3.16 throughout our, our world, and now he's saying, okay, now the key is this scripture will be illuminated in the hearts of the people when what? When, when his people walk in unity. That's our part. He's done his part. Now he's waiting on us to come together in love to do his part. When the church walks in unity, it will release power throughout our nation and it'll shine the light of revival into the darkness. It kind of reminds me of this right here. So, who knew that there was such a clear message of the gospel and end-time revival in the Christmas vacation? But beloved, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, you can find the seeds of the Lord anywhere. But what I want us to see is how those lights have been planted all over the house the top, the bottom, everywhere. But they were not on. They were not lit. They were not shining in the darkness. Why? They weren't, there was something that wasn't plugged together. There was something that had not yet come together. Now, I've got these power cords up here. One of these cords has some little holes in it, little slits and holes in it. The other side has these little prongs, things sticking out. These two things are not alike. They're quite different, right? But, beloved, when they come together,
light. Power begins to be released. Light begins to shine in the darkness. And the Lord is calling us today to be like this plug. He's saying, I've got my lights planted across the earth. It's the light of revival. But it will not shine in the fullness of its strength until two things that are not alike come together in unity. And when that happens, watch the power that's going to be released into your dark world. Beloved, I believe the unified church is the hope for the world in this hour. So, last thing. And I do this out of obedience to my wife. My wife tells me every time, you've got to give us some practicals. You've got to give us some couple of little things to take with us. Inspiration is cool, but we need a few practicals. Don't forget those. So I'm doing this to, to honor my wife, and because it, it is necessary, I, I, do, I, I do agree. So I'm going to give us 10 practicals, and I'm not going to teach each one of these 10, so don't think, oh, great, we're going to be here till 2 o'clock. We're just going to be here till 1.45. But no, I'm just going to list 10 things, and I'm not asking you to do all this list. Uh, we're going to list these 10 things, and these are just some practical things that exercise us towards unity. So these, these aren't little magic formulas. If you just check that off your list one time, you're, you're good on unity. These are things that we can practice daily that help us walk toward this place of unity. So here's 10 quick, quick things. And, and if you'll do this this week, don't, again, try to take this whole list and say, oh, man, that's a big list. I'm way off. Just pick one or two of them and just start working on it. I'm not asking you to perfect it. Just pick one or two, start working on it. And when you kind of, okay, I'm doing kind of good on this. Hey, I think I'll take this, this one this time and work on this for a couple of weeks. Just practice. Number one, these are 10 practical ways to begin walking toward unity. Number one, practice calling out the best in others, even ones with whom you disagree. Practice calling out the best in others. You see, we're really good at finding the flaws and picking out the flaws in one another. And I don't just mean to their face. I'm talking about when they're not even in the room. Because most of the time, we won't tell somebody their flaws to their face. We're too scared. Yeah, but we'll, get, we'll go, go with our little buddy over there in the, in the living room and mask it as a prayer request and say, oh, we need to pray for Joe because, man, he has this issue. And boom, there we go. We're not calling out the best in somebody. So practice calling out the best in others. Is that not what the Lord does with us? Man, I would not want the Lord to define me by my worst moments, and he does not. He calls out the best in me. As, the, as it says in the Song of Solomon, I am dark yet lovely. Uh, yes, I have dark places, but when he sees me, he calls out beauty and glory. Number two, receive who someone is and their God-given role in your life. Receive who someone is. You get to be you. When, we, when you and I have a relationship together, you get to be you, and I get to be me in that relationship. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to receive who you are. I'm not going to say, well, if you become like this, then you can enter into my circle. I'm going to receive who you are and your God-given role in my life, whether you're my pastor, whether you're my friend, whether you're my spouse or my, my child, whatever role that is that God has given you in my life, I'm going to receive who you are, and I'm going to receive that God-given role in my life. Number three, show respect in your actions, in your speech toward one another. This one seems like, it seems pretty basic, and it is basic. But for something so basic, we do an awful poor job at this sometimes, right? Show respect in your actions and your speech towards one another. And so, especially for, for young people, this is something that I've discovered over the last couple of years. And, and I've discovered that it's so easy to be disrespectful when I'm typing something in, not, not realizing that there's another human being on the other side of the screen, Twitter and things like that have made it so easy to be disrespectful to somebody because I don't have to encounter them. 
I don't have, I, I, that person's not going to come up to me and say, well, you were rude to me. They may be down in Kalamazoo, Michigan. I'll never see them. It's really easy to be rude and disrespectful on social media. But there's a real person created in the image of God on the other side of that screen. So we need to learn how to let our words be filled with, with honor and don't disrespect people in the way that you treat them or speak about them or speak to them. Number four, commit to love one another no matter what and then make sure that person knows it. Commit to love one another no matter what and then make sure that other person knows it. Man, this one, this one is, is also can be kind of hard with the, the, just the toxic culture that we live in today, the political culture we live in today. Oh, you voted for who? Mm. Man, if, if I hear that you voted for this guy, we, we can't have anything to do with one another. But you know what I'm going to do now? I'm actually going to say, you know what? If you vote for this guy, and I think this, this particular dude's a rascal, but if you voted for him, I'm going to love you anyway. You can't vote your way out of relationship with me. I'm going to love you because I, I want to honor you. I want to be like Jesus, and I kind of like you. I don't, may, I don't like how you vote, but I like you. You're a pretty cool person. I'm going to love you. Do you know that? See, it's one thing to commit to love somebody no matter what. It's another thing to make sure they know you're going to love them no matter what. And that's powerful. When we begin to do that, we begin to take those steps toward unity. Here's another one. Pursue connection before correction. Pursue connection before correction. I'll just let, it, let that one simmer. I won't talk much about that. But when, when here I go. I'm about to talk about it. Um, there are going to be times, there are times in all of our lives when we need to have those conversations. So this, this issue about unity is not, oh, we always just get along, everything's so fluffy. No, unity happens in the context of trials and tribulation. And when we have those things that come up, relational issues, it's really easy to, to, to first leap into, well, I need to correct your behavior or the way that you're treating me. You need to stop doing that. But if we pursue connection before we get to the correction, all of a sudden we're going to see those things go so much smoother. And, our, and the relationship is so much stronger on the back end of those if we'll do that. Taking steps towards unity. Pursue connection before pursuing correction. Number six, humbly receive correction without getting defensive. Yeah, these are, I put those two together on purpose. Correction will happen, and it must happen, but we, we have to commit to receive correction without getting defensive. And man, that's, that one is hard. But if I can sit in my spirit, Lord, I want you to have your work in my life. I know I'm not perfect. But what hurts is when somebody else tells me what I already know. If I tell myself, because the truth is, I don't even like Joshua most of the time. I'm just going to be honest with you. I, I, that's one of the reasons I don't want to make all of you like me because I don't even like me a lot of times. But when someone else tells me something about myself that I already know is true, it stings a little bit differently, right? But if my, the posture of my heart is, Lord, I want you to have your way in my life, and I want to grow. There's some areas of weakness and immaturity in me. I want to grow. And so when someone brings that up, instead of going, well, you rascal, I'm going to... I go, oh, thank you, Lord. That hurts, but thank you for showing me areas that I can grow and improve. Number seven, respectfully refuse to accept improper conduct from your brothers and sisters. Respectfully refuse. So again, unity is not everybody just gets to be willy-nilly and do whatever. Beloved, when I connect with you at a deep level, level of unity. What we do affects the other person, right? 
When we link arms together, now what I do affects you, and what you do affects me. It's like we take each other's name in a sense, like in a marriage, right? In a marriage, my wife took my last name, Rushing. So now what she does reflects on my name. And when we connect with each other in this covenant of love, now what you do, what I do, it affects, it affects each other. So I'm committing to you guys to connect at a deep level in unity and love I just want to encourage you guys, don't mess that up for me. And you can say the same thing for me. Okay, we'll connect with you, Joshua, but don't you screw this up. Because now what I do, if I go off and just live my own life knowing that I'm connected with you, that reflects poorly on you now, doesn't it? So now there's this holy sense of accountability. Unity actually becomes a, 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 a place where a, a holy accountability is really, really strong. And that's not the accountability that says, I'm going to watch you and I'm going to make sure you're not doing anything bad. It's not that. It's, it's me acting in such a way that I know my actions affect other people that I'm connected with. And so now I want to be like Jesus because I don't want to mess that up for you. So respectfully refuse to accept improper conduct. So I, when I got married to my wife, you know, there were certain things at that point that I was just like, you know what, I'm going to respectfully say, I'm not going to accept A, B, and C if you do that. Now, I don't mean that, you know, if you leave a dish, I'm going to leave a dish unclean, I'm going to be mad. That's not what I'm talking about. But when I got married to my wife, if she just goes and does something with somebody else, I'm going to respectfully refuse to accept that behavior. Why? Is it because I'm controlling? No, it's because I love her. And it's because we're connected. And now what she does affects me. Number eight, listen well and try to feel and understand someone else's perspective, especially when that perspective is different from yours. I'm going to shock some of you guys, and I might step on your toes, but I think this, it's okay to say not a single person in this room knows all the answers. I know you think you do. You're not always right. I'm not always right. Someone else can say something that I disagree with and go, huh, I don't see it that way, but wow, okay, I see where you're coming from. I think I might check that out and, and see if there's something there. So we take steps towards unity when we learn to eat the meat and spit out the bones. You know, I heard somebody say something recently that, that really struck me. It was uh, Reverend uh, T.D. Jakes said this. He says, haters can be tools of growth for you once you embrace the fact that they're not always wrong. Your haters can be a tool for maturity and growth for you. When you've come to the place of realization, they're not always wrong. Guys, listen to each other. Listen well. Seek to understand how, where they're coming from. Two more. Number nine, become a servant of one another's joy. Become a servant of others' joy. What brings someone else joy in their life? I want to serve that. See, that's opposite of the old proverbial button that we know how to push, right? So I know how to push buttons in my wife. I know how to get my wife irritated. She has a handful of buttons, and I know how to push them. But instead, I want to be a servant of her joy, not a pusher of her buttons. What produces joy in her spirit? I want to find those buttons and push those buttons. I want to serve that in her life. And when we do that with one another, as, as uh, Pastor Jeff has been telling us about joy and the way that, that joy literally rewires our brains, it's just fascinating. Why would I not want to? If I think you're messed up in the head, 
why would I not want to feed your joy and rewire your messed up brain? Sorry, I think I just did the opposite of what I've been talking about. But, but no, think about it. When somebody else, had, you're like, man, that perspective is off. Man, you, you, I can't believe you like this thing and you do this thing. Well, guess what? Serve their joy and rewire that brain. Become a servant of one another's joy. And lastly, we mentioned this earlier, pray for them regularly. Pray for each other regularly, especially when you say you will. I'll tell you where, I'm, where I mess up a lot. Hey, I'll pray for you, brother. Hey, praying, prayer's up. And then I get home, pew, out of sight, out of mind. And that bugs me when I realize, oh, man, I just told this guy, I just told this gal that I'd be praying for him. And then I just went on my little merry way. Yeah, let's not do that. Commit to pray for one another. Again, it's impossible to harbor hate in your heart towards somebody else when you're laboring in prayer for them. What you pray for, you will fall in love with. So, beloved, this issue of unity is really crucial in this hour. There is a lost world out there. There is a harvest waiting And Jesus prayed that when we walk in unity, the world will know the Father's love, and they will know that the Father sent the Son for them. So I want to partner with you all. I want us to partner together. I want us to take intentional steps toward one another in unity and love because I have a hope for the harvest. And I want to see a dark world. I want to see those seeds of John 3.16 be illuminated and shine in a dark world. Amen? Let's stand. We hope you've enjoyed this episode from Calvary Community Church Podcast. For more content and information about Calvary Community Church, please visit our website at calvaryhouston.com.